welcome to Not My Parents Keeper, a podcast dedicated to those that have suffered at the hands of their parents. I'm your host, Allie. I understand that my family, friends, and potentially even my abusers may come across this podcast and not like what they hear. I can't be silenced any longer. I will leave some details out to respect the privacy of those that are innocent, but I won't change the truth to protect the people who abused me. Furthermore, I am by no means a trained therapist or counselor, nor do I have a formal education around either topic. This podcast is intended for community purposes only, and anything discussed comes from learned experiences, and anything referenced during an episode will be cited with factual research. Also a trigger warning, During this episode, there will be discussions about abuse, trauma, and neglect, specifically related to families. This episode contains discussion regarding gun violence and death. There is also mention of drug abuse and addiction. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance, please contact the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, or RAIN, at 1-800-656-4673. For domestic violence, please call 1-800-799-SAFE or visit thehotline.org. For the 24-7 Drug Abuse and Addiction Hotline, 1-844-289-0879. This podcast is about generational trauma, breaking cycles, and relearning your boundaries, specifically around our parents, who were supposed to uphold the parent-child dynamic, but also often failed miserably. Those of you know what I mean when you as the child feel like the parent. This podcast will discuss healing from narcissistic abuse and complex trauma that many children are faced with. We continue to carry this with us throughout life. Our mental, physical, and spiritual health are all negatively impacted and we often can't figure out why. We will be sharing stories from my life as well as others who share these same backgrounds. If you would like to share your story, we would love to connect with you. Of course, anonymity is of top priority. So if you do not want to share your voice or be interviewed and recorded, we can share it for you. I wanted to start this podcast because of my past, but also because of how so many other podcasts have helped me in healing throughout. A lot of podcasts are true crime in nature and remind me of what I've remind me of what I've come from and how others are just as capable of doing it as well. I'm definitely a big reader and I often find solitude in reading stories that are similar to mine and I hope to share a lot of those books with you all as well. And I hope that you all have some to share back. I was also inspired by communities like the subreddit Raised by Narcissists and friends like Kayla and many others. Many of us don't have others to turn to. Family turns their head and won't ever seem to understand. Choosing what is right for you is one of the hardest things to do when it comes to family, but I'm here to tell you that you can do it. Family is who you make your family too. Blood isn't the only qualifier in my eyes for a family bond to form. So, 
I was planning on starting to record on the weekends and getting the hang of things, and then to publish those at the end of the week, maybe on Thursdays or Fridays. Every other episode will be dedicated to sharing the story of someone I know with their permission, while the other weeks will be discussions about criminal cases involving survival and family abuse. So a little about me. My name's Allie, and I was born and raised in a small, unincorporated town in West Virginia. I'm 28 and married, now living in Memphis, Tennessee. We currently have three dogs and a cat. I've always wanted to start my story with where I was born because I love my town of Cross Lanes. I miss it a lot. It isn't the same as what I remember, though. Today, it's overrun with drugs and crime, no longer safe to walk the sidewalk at night. After graduating high school, I moved as fast as I could to Raleigh, North Carolina, where I moved in with my aunt and her wife. I ended up attending community college and eventually got into an undergraduate degree program and loved every minute of it. I felt like I was finally going somewhere and I was actually starting to live a life of purpose. I really loved moving too. I think it was some sense of control for me. I loved the unpacking of boxes and getting to organize a new space. It just felt really magical and kind of soothed me. I love that time so much because I remember my time with my grandma the most that way. She took custody of me when I was about 13 years old, and we moved a total of three times during my last few years of high school. Looking back, it wasn't the most stable time of her life, but we had each other and we knew it. And yeah, you heard me right. My grandma took custody of me when I was in 10th grade with my full support. My parents hadn't been who they were supposed to be. My dad has been an alcoholic for years and my mom has been addicted to pain pills as well. Neither could ever hold down a job long enough for us to get a car or to keep a car from getting repoed. Our electric would be turned off constantly I remember winters when we had no heat or electricity and sometimes no water. Other times, it was summer and there wouldn't be air. I'd find out later that not paying the electric company was something of a game with my parents. They never felt like they needed to be responsible for themselves or for their one daughter they had in their care. For years, I would come home from school and sit by myself in my room and either read a book or... If we had electric, I'd watch movies. My dad would pick me up from the bus stop sometimes, and when he did, he'd be raging drunk and swerving down our curvy hollow road. Other times, I'd walk or catch a ride with a friend and their parents. Coming home was boring, and I felt like my soul was crushed into the mountain. My mom would sleep for hours on end, even when I came home and said hello, and wanted to spend time with her. The only thing I was fond of during my time with my parents was when they took me to Blockbuster with them. 
We'd go every other Friday when my mom got her check from working at the hospital, and I'd get to pick out maybe one or two movies and maybe some candy. It felt like we were rich and living the high life, but that didn't last long, and neither did many other small moments of positivity. The tipping point for me was when my parents began to neglect my education. Granted, I was 13 and probably should have started to use my own alarm clock, but I didn't have one, nor did they suggest I should start. Instead, they chose to not wake me up or fight me in the mornings if I was cranky, which I really wasn't that bad. If my grandma could deal with me, so could they, right? I was truly awoken when I had to talk with my parents about my interests and what I'd like to do for school majors and stuff. I remember I talked about studying volcanoes, maybe geology. I love the outdoors and nature. To this day, I remember both parents telling me there wasn't any reason for me to leave West Virginia and that I could go be a nurse and work at a Charleston area hospital after getting my degree. Needless to say, they shit on my parade and didn't give a damn. Looking back after about 15 years, I see what they were doing. Their intentions were purely out of control and manipulation, and I see it now as an adult. After that, I started staying with my grandma more and more. I don't know what the tipping point was, but I think it was a culmination of things. All of my friends were at my grandma's house. I actually was fed and given time to be a kid. My grandma was willing to make sure I got to school on time. She made sure I was clothed and fed and had the supplies I needed for life. Again, with control, my mom reached out to me and demanded I come home. And I said no. And my dad came and got me. And that was a weird tipping point for my grandma and her son. I remember that evening at our trailer, I told my parents that I did. I wanted to live with my grandma. I just felt happier there. After all that had been happening, they were both livid and they told me that would never happen. And looking back again, that's another way they wanted to control. Then my mom decided she was going to go grab a knife and she threatened to end her life in front of me. And then she asked me if that was what I wanted. Yeah, Mother of the Year award goes to her, I know. My dad actually had a little sense to grab the knife and tell her to stop the bullshit. And after that evening, I vowed to make an escape. The next day, I rode the bus that would take me to my grandma's house, and I went there. My grandma was concerned and, of course, worried sick that it would cause problems. But myself and my aunt promised her this was for the best, and it needed to happen. Within the hour, my parents, of course, were calling and asking if I was there, and if so, I needed to come home. And I straight up said no. And I continued to refuse. And yes, I was 13, and they were pissed. They said they'd come get me, but nobody ever showed up. So I don't think they wanted to fight anybody. Court and the custody hearing was quick and could have been much more painful and prolonged if my parents had money and any drive to fight for me. But I'm glad they didn't have either. I wouldn't change what decisions were made. I don't see myself ending up where I have if I hadn't chosen what I did. 
For years, my parents and I didn't speak. It felt like years, but I think it was about two and a half years. Even though family pressured me left and right to give them a chance. At one point, my parents lived less than a quarter mile from where I was living with my grandma. My heart skipped a beat every single time we drove by their apartment, hoping I wouldn't see them outside with their dogs. For me, the only thing that changed was my ability to fight, and it mostly had to do with fighting off family members from forcing their opinions on me. My grandma was relentless and would constantly remind me of what I was missing out on, and even more so what my parents were missing out on. I understand what she meant, but I also realize a big part of her wanted her son, my dad, back in her life. To this day, I still don't quite understand why she fought so badly for such a shit relationship, but I'm also not a mother, and I can't understand. It was just before my high school graduation, and I finally gave in and decided I should try and talk to my parents and let them attend my graduation. They did in fact come that day, and looking back, they were probably high, just like any other day. At least I know for certain my dad was. He has that Salisbury squint, something that my dad's side of the family would say if they were pot smokers because their eyes became squintier afterwards. After that, our relationship just became like a friendship. My mom really tiptoed around every move, and as a fresh 18-year-old, I was a little wild and extremely opinionated. I did what I wanted, and really nobody told me much about what I could or couldn't do, at least in terms of my parents. My brother stole their car keys at one point and was shortly robbed by two other individuals later on, creating yet another dramatic event that was told to me as it unfolded. My brother was never allowed to live with them, but they occasionally allowed him to crash there. After I had finished my undergraduate degree, I left North Carolina and moved to Memphis, Tennessee, where I started a master's degree program. And those next two years, my mom and I actually talked a lot. We spoke sometimes almost daily, and I loved it. I really enjoyed talking to her about school and what I had learned because she seemed to thoroughly love hearing it. I don't remember what made me start to be more suspicious of my dad, but something in me said something was going on. My brother had told me many stories about my dad using and selling heroin and meth, but I never really believed my brother. He's a pathological liar and he lies for no reason at all. He has since he was a young boy. It wasn't until I heard my childhood best friend, Miranda, who has since passed away of a drug overdose, tell me about her stories of buying drugs from my dad and using alongside him. I knew then when she told me that it was true. She had no reason to tell me these things, especially living in such close proximity to them. After that day, my world began to spin and my mental health was negatively impacted. I had started a PhD program in Memphis and I was just finishing up my first semester when I had a mental health wake-up call. My obsessive compulsive disorder took control of my mind and broke me down. I couldn't work or go to school. I hadn't experienced these feelings since I was first diagnosed with OCD and anxiety at 12. Since having that conversation with Miranda and also learning from a number of individuals, a number of things about my parents, I really started to wake up. My husband Chaz really allowed me to see what they were doing and how they were living. The first time he ever met my dad, my dad passed out sitting upright on a bar stool after just a few sips of beer. 
And to me, that was odd, even for my dad. He wasn't one to nod off after a beer, let alone not interact with me or someone I bring around. Some months went by, and then it was time for another graduation, another celebratory time in my life, and theirs. They made no plans to save money for a rental car or anything to help them while they took the time to visit me. Not to mention, neither of them are working. I was going to drive the eight hours to pick them up and bring them back eight hours to see me graduate. Then we would drive another eight hours back to their home where I would spend a week with them and in my hometown. Instead, my father-in-law offered up some of his sky miles to my parents so that they could fly into Tennessee to see me graduate. I picked them up from the airport and they were happy to see me, but it was clear how intoxicated they were. I had a few things planned for us while they were in town, and most of it went okay, and we enjoyed ourselves. I took my mom to the zoo, which is famous here, and she told me that it was her first ever time to one. I felt so happy to share that type of memory with her, and it was really fun. But it was also really heartbreaking to know that she could easily sleep for hours on end while visiting her daughter that she hadn't seen in years. Again, my now husband was able to bring to my attention that they in fact were doped up on something the day of my graduation again. The day that they also met my now in-laws for the first time. Thinking back to that day, I still wonder what they were thinking. That day was really embarrassing for me, but I also can't imagine for them. My now father-in-law paid for lunch at a local barbecue spot, and neither of my parents tried to speak up or pay. Seeing that was hard for me, but honestly, it allowed me to look back and see that they've always let others pay. They've always been like that. I remember my aunt would come into town and she would do that every time, inviting all of us out to eat, knowing that it would bring us together, but also knowing that it was a pretty big bill at the end that she would be responsible for. It was when I went back to my hometown and my parents' apartment that I really started to wake up. The people they were hanging around were scary and my parents were letting them run in and out of their apartment. I stayed one night and the next day woke up to no electric or water. I am not joking. It was that trip that I asked my mom's sister whether she thought my dad was addicted to meth or heroin or whether she thought maybe he might be selling. She said she had no suspicions at all. Later, she would pass away less than a year to stage four lung cancer. I'm upset that she lied to me, but I also understand her reasonings. My mom and her were best friends growing up and into adulthood. My aunt had seen firsthand what the custody agreement had done to my mom and dad and she likely didn't want to make their lives harder than it already appeared. Now I see my aunt as someone who enabled my parents until the day she died. She saw it as an undying love and familial connection, but truly it was enabling my parents to live a life fueled by drugs, guns, and alcohol. Shortly after the COVID-19 pandemic began, I learned from a cousin that my papa had been shot and killed by my dad. To this day, saying it out loud doesn't make it feel any more real. I still am in shock over the entire situation, and I'm afraid I'll never know the true story behind it all. What I think is, of course, my opinion, and everyone is presumed innocent until a court of law determines otherwise. You see, the first red flag for me 
was when my cousin called me instead of my mom. My mom is for the dramatics. She may seem sweet and kind and caring because she is, but she also craves attention and loves having something going on other than the normal ticks of mundane life. So when she didn't call me to tell me about my papa being shot, I called foul in my mind. The second red flag was when I called her to ask what happened. And she said my papa told my dad to get the fuck out of his house. And he aimed his pistol at my dad and fired. But unfortunately, papa missed. Or fortunately, my dad says that he had his pistol on him and fumbled with the safety before finally being able to fire a single shot at my papa, striking him. See, this second red flag is odd to me because I have at least one ear witness account that says there was screaming and fighting up on their property. The witness heard a gunshot, then silence for a few seconds. Then they heard another shot. The third red flag for me was that my papa missed my dad. My papa was known for never missing a target. Sure, he was in his early 80s, but with just the previous year I had shot at the gun range with him and seen it firsthand. I'm unsure of what to believe at this point, and it was a devastating loss, and I can't imagine the aftermath of something as traumatic as shooting someone could be. But what's even more, but what's even worse is that those same people that promised to protect my papa's wife didn't. My granny didn't deserve any of what my parents brought to her home. It wasn't until a year later and some change that I found out my papa's cremated remains were still sitting on the funeral home shelf with an unpaid balance at that. All I could think about was my granny wondering where her husband's ashes must be and why her own daughter and son-in-law could be treating her this badly. I thought that it couldn't get much worse with my parents, but in a dark and twisted way, I'm glad it did. In a sick turn of events, I found out through my other aunt that Papa had never been picked up by my mom and dad. They had dodged all calls from funeral homes trying to contact them to pick up his ashes. It seems that shortly after Papa was killed, my parents started to overrun their property with crazy people yet again. And this time I saw what was really happening. They were allowing druggies and addicts to run up and down their hill all day long buying meth and heroin. My granny passed away in November 2021, opening the door to speak with my mom. I needed to ask her. I had never truly caught either of my parents in a lie outright, and I knew this was likely my one time to do so. I knew deep down I needed to do this too. I had to have some sort of confirmation that they were shitty people and that and that would allow me to let them go instead of waiting around for them to change. I asked her, why did you lie about Papa? I didn't beat around the bush. One thing about me is that I'm straight to the point when I'm pissed off. And she said angrily, what are you talking about? Lie to you. And I said, mom, I called the funeral home. And they confirmed with me that Papa was still on their shelf with an unpaid bill. All she had to say was, Why, Allie? Why would you call and do that, Allie? And I said, Did you use that $600 I raised on GoFundMe for Papa? Or for the drugs? And then I hung up. I knew enough to end the call without hearing what she had to say. 
I thought that was the lowest they could go, but oh, I was wrong. One thing that came after my granny passed was being able to talk with my aunt, one of her other daughters. Neither of us were receiving updates on the progress of granny's cremation and we both started to get concerned. So I did some calling around and discovered that my granny was still in the hospital morgue and had been for a week. My parents had dodged all the calls attempting to set up funeral home arrangements. I was shocked. I mean, completely thrown through a loop. I really didn't expect my mom to do something as low as leave her own mom in the morgue unclaimed. I mean, she didn't even have someone claiming her as kin. My mom had her name alone on all the paperwork for my granny, so nobody else had rights or were able to get called. By some insane luck, a shitload of calls, and a letter to Governor Jim Justice, my aunt and I were able to arrange for granny to be taken to a funeral home and then cremated. She and I agreed to share granny and honor her cremated remains by keeping them in our respective homes. I'm not gonna lie, I let my parents have it, at least in text messages I could send to my dad's phone. I ripped into both of them for leaving her and for deserting Papa's remains. I just couldn't believe it. I mean, I didn't really cry because I've done so much over the years, not quite sure. Now I know why. I was always waiting for them to step up and be the parents I wanted them to be. But now I see they never had it in them. They never wanted to have responsibility for anyone else. They just like the shiny appearance it gives them when they look like they're good people. In reality, they are so self-conscious and worried about what other people think of them. And they have a drug problem. They need help and they know it. They refuse to accept it and they have shut out everyone in the family, including me, their only daughter. I have been their enabler for years, never accepting the entire situation for what it was. But today, I no longer am giving my time and grace to them. I know who they are and what life they want to live. I'm choosing not to have any part of their life because it will bring me more pain to do so than separating myself will. I will never say never, but they sure as hell have a long way to climb. Drug addiction makes people do insane, selfish, and hurtful things to the people closest to them. We all know the old saying, hate the drug, not the addict, and I agree. What I find difficult to grapple with is the idea of forgiving and allowing people with addictions to get away with bullshit. So often, we as family members shy away from bringing up a problem we may see someone having or we neglect talking to someone because it might make us feel uncomfortable or it might ruin our relationship or maybe we'll fight for a while and make up. You see, you'll never know until you attempt to make it right and to address the problem. I wish my mom's sister had said something to her or to me. I wish that she hadn't lied to my question because maybe that type of intervention would have opened my parents' eyes to what they were doing. If not then, maybe sometime, right? We all know with AA, NA, Naranon, and Alanon, it's all trial and error. There's a basic guideline for us to follow and it's up to us to solve what's eating at us. My parents were eating at me and I needed to do what was best for my soul. 